right. Come on in, everybody. How are you tonight? Good, good, good. Encourage you to take your seats, you guys. Uh, you're in store um, for an active 90 minutes of, of, of a great time with Eric Metaxas. You're going to be uh, having the opportunity tonight to... Uh, and I know many of you already bought his book, uh, Letter to the American Church. It's an epic book. Uh, it was the book of the month here some time ago. But that book has had such great success and it has, in, has rung such a note in the hearts of people uh, across the U.S. and beyond where they have just put out now a study guide to it, which is brilliant. That's available tonight also as well. Um, but to tee things up, let's go to prayer first. I want to share something with you, and then you'll be um, meeting Eric. So, Father, we come before you tonight, and we give this to you. We pray that you would continue, Lord, in this uh, Wednesday night. A special night for us, but the traffic is the same <laughs> for people trying to get here. So, God, we pray that you keep them safe. We pray, Father, for those that are watching right now, and, Lord, that you'd speak to so many, especially pastors tonight all around the world that will view this. And this might just cause there to be a lightning strike of boldness. Lord, we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, not for goosebumps, not for some experience that is personal and it's just to ourselves. No, Lord, we need a tremendous move of God in our world publicly. Evil is afoot. The world is off its rails, and yet Jesus said there'd be days just like this. So, Father, we pray that tonight would actually be a night that we can look back in short order and be able to say, do you remember that night when Eric spoke and God did this and things have happened ever since? Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit, we pray, and draw us closer to your presence. And we do pray, God, for the soul of America. And if you think about that, the soul of America is made up of your people. Thus you say, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, repent really, turn and seek your face, that you'll hear from heaven and you'll heal our land. We ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So before we get going tonight, I want you guys to uh, see something on the screens, guys. We're going to start with a quote by, um, well, by Paul the Apostle to Timothy, and then we're going to segue over to uh, someone that you, you know about, but you've not really uh, heard from. So Paul says to Timothy, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. What a lofty calling, right? The pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. That is the foundation of tonight. The church is the pillar and the ground of all truth, so long as the church is tied and anchored to the Bible. 
The church cannot function without the Bible. If there's a church without the Bible going on, it's not a New Testament church. Remember that. Remember that all night through. Next quote is from Theodore Roosevelt. I'll do the best I can on this. Fear God. This is President Roosevelt. Fear God and take your own part. Fear God in the true sense of the word means love God, respect God, honor God. And all of this can only be done by loving our neighbor, treating him justly and mercifully, and in all ways endeavoring to protect him from injustice and cruelty. Wow. Thus obeying as far as our human frailty will permit the great and immutable law of righteousness. We fear God when we do justice to and demand justice for the men within our own borders. How many years ago was this written? hundred something years ago? We are false to the teachings of righteousness if we do not such justice and demand such justice. We must demand honesty, justice, mercy, truthfulness in our dealings with one another, within our borders. Outside of our own borders, we must treat other nations as we would wish to be treated in return. Judging each and any given crisis as we ourselves ought to be judged. That is, by our conduct in that crisis. Wow. If they do ill, we show that we fear God when we sternly bear testimony against them and oppose them in any way and in whatever extent the needs require. That's righteousness, friends. If they do well, we must not wrong them ourselves. Unless we are thoroughly going Americans, and unless our patriotism is part of the very fiber of our being, we can neither serve God nor take our own part. Whatever may be the case in an infinitely remote future, at present, no people can render any service to humanity unless as a people, they feel an intense sense of national cohesion, this is what our nation needs, and solidarity. The man who loves other nations as much as he does his own stands on a par with the man who loves other women as much as he does his own wife. The United States can accomplish little for mankind save in so far as within its borders it develops an intense spirit of Americanism. Patriotism should be an integral part of our every feeling at all times. For it is merely another name for those qualities of soul which make a man in peace or in war by day or by night think of his duty to his fellows and of his duty to the nation through which their and his loftiest aspirations must find their fitting expressions. The professional pacifists, listen to this, who have so actively worked for the dishonor of the American name and the detriment of the American nation and who incidentally have shown themselves the base uh, beset allies and tools of triumphant wrong would do well to bear in view the elementary fact that the only possible way by which to enable us to live at peace with other nations is to develop our own strength in order that we may defend our own rights. 
church family. That is from President Theodore Roosevelt. It is as timely now as it was then. And notice where he placed the foundation of his belief. And that is in God. That if we do not submit ourselves to God, then there is really no America. And if we're, if, if God is not the king in America, uh, then how can we be a light and a lamp to other nations? And all of that example, Theodore Roosevelt, as all of our uh, previous heroes of history, frankly, of this nation, knew something, and that is God started this nation with a church service. And it technically started on the planks of a ship called the Mayflower. And what God determined is written down by these who I witnessed God's move. It's not for us to speculate. It's for us to learn and know. And Eric Metaxas has written numerous best-selling books. He's a syndicated radio host on over 300 uh, stations daily. Uh, he hosts Socrates in the City, which you, if you don't watch that, you must start watching that. You go to ericmetaxas.com. And just subscribe to whatever he's doing because you will learn, you will be challenged, you will grow. Eric hails from New York City. Don't hold that against him. He's probably the only conservative there, maybe. But um, he's a hero of ours. He's a national treasure. And we've had the honor of gathering together yesterday with uh, hundreds of pastors as Eric and others address these pastors up and down the state of California. We brought pastors in and we gave them an exhortation and an admonishment about what we ought to be doing regarding uh, fearing God rather than fearing man or anything else. And so you guys give a warm welcome to Eric Metaxas tonight. This is too much. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Oh, my goodness. You better be seated, please. Not so fast. Why so fast? Why? Well, I feel disrespected. Why did they do that so I fast? It. I love it. That was, oh, my gosh. Oh. Uh, I'm just curious how many people are here. If you're here tonight, would you raise your hand? I'm just curious. That's and, a, and be sure of that's that. That's like 20% of you are here. Wow. That's awesome. I am so honored and blessed to be here. I was here about two years ago, and, and I have to tell you, um, in case you didn't know it, it's kind of a special thing you got going here. And I know we all know it's got nothing to do with Pastor Jack. No, it's just a sovereign work. I've got nothing to do with this guy. I am so honored, uh, uh, Jack, by your kind words and by your allowing me to, to be here tonight to talk about what is unfortunately very important stuff. Yes. Well, unfortunately, okay, but. God has laid on your heart, not only tremendous books, by the way, and if uh, I encourage you to get his work on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is there anything in print like that book, honestly? About Bonhoeffer? Yeah. Absolutely not. That's why I wrote the book, because I, I thought it's kind of insane. There, is, there was no book that did him justice. It even really came close, um, you know, for a popular audience, and... Uh, there are some books that are terrible. There was a book that came out a few years ago that basically said he was gay. Oh. Which, uh, aren't we all, though, seriously? Oh, right? my goodness. No, I mean, it was so, it was so preposterous that you, you kind of have to laugh. Otherwise, you go insane. But um, 
the story of Bonhoeffer, I mean, I can start here. I know that the Lord sovereignly called me to write that book. Um, it wasn't like I had some brilliant idea. It wasn't like a career move. Oh, I got a great idea for a great book. The Lord created me and called me to write that book, and I only realized that in retrospect. Mm. You know, sometimes you realize, oh, I, now I understand why God did that. And he did it because he wanted us to know what happens when the church is silent in the face of evil. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a voice, like a prophetic voice, trying to call the German church to be the church and to speak against the evil of the rising Nazis. But we got to be clear, most in the church at the time, they weren't indifferent to evil, they just didn't see it. They had every kind of theological excuse of why the church needs to be silent, Romans 13, you know, submit to the authority, whatever they believed, Bonhoeffer was right and they were wrong. And by the time many of them understood that their silence and their theological confusion about the role of the church, that we're not supposed to, you know, get involved in that kind of stuff, that that opened the door to satanic evil. Yes. And so I realize now that the Lord called me to write that book because precisely what happened then is happening now in America. The silence of the American church is opening the door to satanic evil. But I believe the Lord called me to write this new book. The Bonhoeffer book is the longest book I ever wrote. This is the shortest book I ever wrote. To, to say to the American church, um, this is not my will for you, that you continue down the path that the German church went down. Um, that's the path you're on right now. Maybe not this church, but a, but a lot of churches. Um, but that the Lord would want us to understand biblically why that kind of silence is wrong, uh, why biblically it's the role of the church to speak into all of these issues and to stand against these issues, um, and to, to do so, so that we would repent and that the church would help turn this nation uh, really back to God. So, Eric, if somebody's watching right now or somebody's here right now, they're thinking the thought like, hey, doesn't Eric, Eric, you, you graduated from Yale. You should know better. You should know that there's a separation of church and state. Well, uh, Never heard of don't, that. Don't you know, Eric? Don't Never you know? Never across that uh, What would you say to somebody who would, who would say well, the church needs to stay in its box? Right. And uh, Well, we got to be real clear. I mean, first of all, to be, to be technical, the phrase separation of church and state, we know it's not in the Constitution. But the concept is correct. But it has been misinterpreted, and this is all in my new book, Letter to the American Church. It's been misinterpreted utterly since about the 60s. The idea of the separate church and state was put in place by the founders of this nation to keep the government, to keep the state out of the church's business. Now, that's not my opinion. That's, that's not your opinion. It's not my opinion. This is what every single one of the founders understood that you cannot have real freedom, you cannot have a people who govern themselves unless they are free to believe as they like, whether they like. If you want to be an atheist, you want to be a Buddhist, yeah. you want to be Christian, whatever, the government has zero right to bother you about that. Any more than they can tell you what car you need to drive or whatever it was, the government has according to our founding documents, according to the founding vision of this nation, it must keep away 
from those issues and allow the people themselves to decide. Yeah. So every other country that, that we had fled you know, from, from, from Europe, they had no separation of church and state. You know, if you go to, if you go to that, uh, if, you're, if you're part of that country or, or whatever, everybody goes to that church. Uh, or everybody That's goes to right. that church, or you know, or you see this, or you, everybody goes to is, is Muslim, or everybody is atheist. If you're in North Korea, or everybody, everybody, America, they said we're going to have religious liberty, and they understood that that undergirds all of our liberties. They they knew this. This is like math. This is not opinions, folks. This is this is the key. Like you cannot have American style liberty and self government unless you have actual liberty, particularly with regard to religious liberty, that, that the government cannot tell you what to think, cannot tell you what to believe, and it definitely cannot like get involved in your, whether you go to church or how you go to church or where you go to church. Like This is utterly, utterly foundational. But at the same time, all of the founders understood if most people don't have some religious faith, right. we can't force it, but if they don't have it, we're not gonna have virtue, we're not going to have people who can govern themselves. So there's like a conundrum at the heart of the founders said freedom, religious freedom is, 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 is sacred. We're going to have religious freedom. We're not going to tell people they need to believe in God. We're not going to tell people they need to go to church. We're not going to, we have no business doing that. But if they don't do it on their own, our liberties will evaporate. So this was this risk that's, it's, it's at the heart of all liberty and and we always knew that as a people, right? We knew that as, as, as Americans that we, nobody's going to force you to go to church, but we believe in God. We respect God. We have presidents like Theodore Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln and every single president. They understood this is the foundation. We can't force it on anybody, but without this, we're not America. This is what makes us free. So that kind of shifted in the 60s and you get you know, a, a lot of people under, misunderstanding this, like willfully, basically, and basically saying, oh, separation of church and state, that means we've got to remove any religious stuff out of the culture. And it doesn't say separation of church and culture. It's a separation of church and state. In other words, the government cannot officially establish a religion. You all need to go to this church or everybody in this state needs to go to that church, whatever. But, but somehow... Uh, Richard John Newhouse wrote a book in 1984 called The Naked Public Square, talking about that we're, we're trying to strip the public square of any trappings of religion, which is the opposite of what the founders wanted. The founders knew that if we don't have a lot of religious people in this country, we're not going to have freedom. And, and I wrote about this in another book called If You Can Keep It. But in my book, If You Can Keep It, I talk about every single one of the founders understood this, that when revival breaks out, like under the preaching of George Whitfield, guess what happens? Virtue goes up. Domestic abuse goes down, crime goes down, and people can govern themselves. Those people can be free. So all of the founders understood this. But roughly since the 60s, a lot of our cultural elites have, have turned it around and made it sound right. as though we've got to take God out. And they are undeniably wrong. And the result is we've become less and less and less free as a result of that. We're going we're gonna to do something. I'm going to put the guys on the spots. The guys back in the control room, if they could do this and let us know or just throw it up there. If you could uh, get, a, get the First Amendment up on the screens, you guys should track that down. That'd be awesome. Just, just for you to see it. Because if, uh, and we've done this in Washington, D.C., of all places, we're taking a tour, walking people around uh, and uh, teaching to her. 
And we asked one of the national park rangers in Washington, D.C., uh, where was the separation of church and state clause? Where is that? And he, without pausing, without hesitation, definitely declared that it was in the First Amendment. And we broke open our First Amendment and read it, and he was completely dumbfounded. This is a national park ranger. Did anybody say, duh? Did you make him feel bad? And so you might... you. Uh, if, if the guys can put it up at some time soon or whenever they can get that uh, through the system, we'll look at it. Because CNN uh, and, and uh, others like that will, will say, well, are you crazy? Uh, Eric, what's wrong with you? Jack, are you guys crazy? Here you go. Congress shall make no law respecting any establishment of religion. Pause right there. There's a comma. Why? Why did they make that the First Amendment? Because we came from a country... That had a state church. The government imposed the church upon. That's what the pilgrims were fleeing from. Did you know that? A state church? Think of that. Or, here's the kicker. Prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Everybody knows this. What does that mean? It means you can't mess with someone's desire to either worship or not. Actually, it goes, far, it goes beyond Go, that. Take it. When you say worship, we go like, okay, we can all worship here. It's talking about the exercise of religion. In other words, when you leave the church, you exercise your faith outside of this building, outside of Sunday morning or whatever. Good point. And that is, but that, it's a big point because there are a lot of people that would say like, well, you can do whatever you want to do in your little weird building on Sunday mornings, but when you come out, you bow to the secular authority of the state. That, that's, called, uh, and, uh, that's called Gavin Newsomism. Yes, that's right. Uh, and, it's, and it's spreading. It's spreading. We need an a anti-fungicide or something like that because it's really bad. It's very bad. Um, probably penicillin would work. Or, but, or a real uh, vaccine. I, I want to say with, that, uh, but that idea... Even many people in church, this gets to, the, to why I wrote the book, Letter to the American Church. I said, these ideas have come into the church yeah. where people in the church think, well, I can have my private faith or I can have my faith in my church. And you want to, we need to understand like, no, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. And that's not what our founding documents say. Our founding documents say, if you have a faith, you can exercise it freely you cannot be prohibited from exercising your faith anywhere you go. And by the way, God gave you your faith to take it with you out of the church building and into right. every sphere in the culture. That's, That's right. the point of your going to church is you learn stuff and you take it out and you apply it out there. And a lot of people in the church have kind of acted like, well, you know, we don't want to uh, impose our faith or we don't want to be. And you think, well, God's idea is that you're supposed to take his values into every single sphere. And something has happened where a lot of Christians out of timidity or whatever, but this is what happened in Germany in the 1930s. Good pastors, okay? Look, some of them were wicked, but a lot of good pastors got this wrong. Just like today, a lot of good pastors are getting this wrong today. Mm -hmm. And they said, we just want to stay in our theological lane. We just want to preach the gospel. And I'm here to tell you, folks, Jesus, who was perfect, didn't just preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. He didn't just preach the gospel. The gospel is, it doesn't get better than the gospel, but there's more to life than just the gospel. Mm -hmm. They're calling out evil, uh, calling out corruption, living out your faith. In fact, living out your faith 
uh, being a patriotic American so that you can preach the gospel. If we lose America, you won't be able to preach the gospel. That's right. So if you care about the gospel, you got to care about this other stuff. And, and honestly, what happened in Germany is what has been happening here is that they define things so narrowly. Uh, it also comes down to the idea of faith. Luther, I wrote a, a biography of Martin mm -hmm. Luther. Of course, you know, he made the phrase famous. Faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. By the way, faith alone is not in the scripture. He kind of added the word alone to underscore it, right? Right. So I talk about that in the book. It's kind of funny. But the point is, yes, you're saved by faith. But the scripture, the, the book's called Letter to the American Church, but I was going to title the book, Faith Without Works is Dead. Anybody familiar with that? <laughs> you know where that quote comes from? I believe it was Oscar Wilde who no. said that in 1898. No. Uh, no. It was a, it's, it's out of the scripture. Faith without works is dead. But a lot of people act like, no, 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 it's faith, it's faith. And you think, well, okay, well, where's the faith? If you're not living out your faith, that is proof yeah. you have no faith. Amen. Yes. And Bonhoeffer wrote about this. Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship where he talks about grace, the same thing, right? He calls it cheap grace. Because right. the Germans were like, it's all about grace. We don't have to stand up to the Nazis. It's all about grace, grace, grace. And, and he said, no, no, that's cheap grace. That's right. If you know what real grace is and what it costs, the Son of God, right. you're going to have a very different view of grace. It's not like, oh, we're covered by grace. I can sin. I'm covered by grace. No, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to understand that grace costs God everything, and it's meant to cost you everything. You're, you're, you're meant to live it out, and you're meant to live out your faith. But we have this very cerebral enlightenment idea, an ungodly, unbiblical idea about faith, that faith is like, I believe this stuff. I believe this stuff. And so people say, well, okay, what's your faith? And they say, well, go to my church's website. There's a statement of faith. That's what I believe. Like, that's a fig leaf, folks. It's not fooling God. It's not fooling the devil. If you live out your faith, if you're living out your faith, God knows you have real faith. But if you say it's just a construct in my mind, it's just some theological stuff, that's, you're, you're playing games. And, I, and, and, and what I try to say in the book is that what has happened to the American church, which has led us to this pass now, where satanic evil is running rampant, in case you know, you're paying any attention, and I hope you're not because it's gross. But that's the same thing that happened in Germany, is that they kind of took their eye off the ball. They acted like, we don't need to live out our faith. And the fact of the matter is that that's God. The only reason we have faith is to live out our faith, not to have head knowledge. You know, the Pharisees had head knowledge right. way better than we do of the scriptures, and Jesus condemned them furiously. And so I, I think about how many Americans say, I go to Bible studies, I read my Bible, I read my Bible. Trust me when I tell you, God does not care if you read your Bible or go to Bible studies if you are not living out Amen. what it says. Amen. If you Absolutely. know what it says... And go to Bible studies and are not living it out in a muscular way, like really living it out in every sphere, then it's almost better that you don't read the Bible. There's something horrifying about reading it and reading it and then not living it. It's like you're more responsible for that information, which is why Jesus condemned the Pharisees. He thought, you know this inside out, and yet you obviously know nothing because you're not living it out. Mm. And so there's something chilling about that. So we in America think, oh, we read our Bibles and we read, and, and, you know, the Lord's like, okay, good, but are you living it out self-sacrificially? 
Do you really believe that I defeated death on the cross? Are you living that way? Because if you're not, then I know you don't really believe it. And, and I really think that's what happened to the German church. It became totally complacent and said, oh, we're just going to stick to theology. We're just going to preach the gospel. We don't want to like live it out, you know, beyond the building. And it unleashed satanic hell. And I, I want to say that that is, I believe, what the Lord is speaking to the church now, because that is what's happening now. And all these terrible things that are happening, which we can go into, I believe it's God's mercy that he is showing us how bad things can get to wake up those of us who can still be awakened before it's too late. Yeah, really well said. Uh, it's very, I think it's very clear in, in archaeology, sociology, just psychology, and of course theology, that all men, I say that men and women, mankind, believe in something. There is no true atheism. Right. It's impossible Everyone believes in something. Somebody might pride themselves tonight in saying, well, you silly little Christians, I'm an atheist. That's your religion. Yeah. Everyone's got a religion. And you're going to live it out if you really believe it. So we look around at the world right now, and the world is doing tonight, today, what it is supposed to do when it believes what it believes apart from God. They are very committed evangelists, are they not? They're evangelizing your children right now in school. They're evangelizing you through the L.A. Dodgers. They're evangelizing you through Target. They're evangelizing you through Kohl's, the media, commercials. Constantly, the pulpit of their belief system is bold and it's vibrant and it's, in, it's you know, in the words of, again, Gavin Newsom, it's coming if you like it or not. Well, Imagine if we stood up and said, here's the gospel. What's amazing to me is our gospel invites you, the gospel of God. I shouldn't say our, our gospel is that we follow his gospel, which invites you to experience forgiveness, invites you to have your sins forgiven, and invites you to have eternal life. It's an invitation. It's not tyrannical. Right now, if you say something about gender to government to Biden to Trump, to whatever it might be, whatever the thing is, fireworks go off. Christianity invites you to know God. Our founding fathers, Eric pointed this out, it's brilliant. When you study these guys and read their own mail, I really recommend, get books that have been written by them. You can do that. Do it. Why not just go straight to their mailbox and read it? When you read what they believed, and even those that we would say, well, we don't know if they're evangelicals. Listen, even those who we would say are not our flavor still said that the best thing for America is for people to obey God. Every single one of them. Every this is, single this one. is what I found funny. In, in my book, If He Can Keep It, I, I just thought, this is incredible. The ones that we think of as somehow you know, enlightenment, rationalist, like ungodly, whatever, total baloney. Every single one of them, Benjamin Franklin at the top of the list, knew that if, if people believe in the God of the Bible, uh, they are going to be able to govern themselves and have liberty. They knew, like it's math, there's no way you can get real liberty, real freedom, real self-government, unless people have faith. Every one of them uh, didn't just believe it, but encouraged it. 
uh, Franklin encouraged it. So this is part of the warp and woof of w- what it is to be American, whether you like it or not. Now, again, you can't force people, and our, and our, and our laws are never supposed to force people. You can't force people to believe. But the fact of the matter is that the founders understood that without this, you can't have America. And so the reason we have drifted to where we are now, this is apart from the, the church's silence, okay? But I'm saying the reason we've drifted is because as you take God out, what is replaced mm-hmm. is satanic. There's no neutral. We've been fooled into thinking, well, we're neutral. Secular is neutral. Uh, in my other book, Is Atheism Dead? I actually look at atheism and you realize atheism, you know, or secularism pretends to be neutral. <laughs> but if you really look at it, you cannot be neutral. Listen, if you don't believe in the Bible, let's say you just say, oh, I just believe in science, I just believe in evolution, okay? Then you tell me, why is racism wrong? Based on science. Now people go, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Of course it's wrong. Yeah, yes, it's wrong. Tell me why. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, you know it's wrong because everywhere in the Bible it says God's no respecter of persons. He loves us equally. In other words, it's a biblical idea that we're all equal. But science tells us, well, we've evolved. Some people might be more evolved than others. And the eugenics movement in this country... Uh, which the Nazis borrowed From when they wanted to kill Jews. They yes. borrowed it, Margaret Sanger, the eugenics movement. They said, this is science. Science says that some groups are more evolved than others. So when you take God out, you, divide, you can't even say racism is wrong. But notice that people aren't talking about that. They kind of act like, what are you talking about? Critical race theory. Critical race theory is founded... Uh, it's cultural Marxism. It's absolutely. And, and it's total gobbledygook, and it's ultimately racist. It has no basis even on which to say race is wrong. So we're living in a time where we need to know what we believe, and we need to live out our faith, and we need to tell people the truth that apart from the God of the Bible, we don't have the possibility of freedom. We don't have the possibility of eradicating racism or any bad thing. And so... The church, rather than be bold, we've kind of, as I say, we've retreated and retreated. And we've been silent in the face of evil because we bought the lie. There's a chapter in the book, Be Ye Not Political. Like, we bought even the lie that, like, we're not supposed to be political. And you think, where does that come? That's not even a biblical idea. What are you talking about? If slavery is on the docket and you're voting, would you say, look, well, I don't want to take a... From my pulpit, I don't want to lose my 501c3 status, so I'm not going to take a, a position on slavery... If you don't take a position on slavery, you're a pig. How, what kind of Christian would you be if yeah. you would not say that is evil from the pit of hell? Right. And it was Christians who led the battle That's right. for abolition of the slave trade, who led the battle of abolition of slavery. It was Christians who led all those battles because they knew from the word of God this is wrong. And we're, we're living in a time when, when, when people don't want to talk about that. And they, they want to say, well, we, we, we don't think you should be political in churches. Listen, folks, if we don't live out our faith in every sphere, including the political, satanic values replace it. Yeah. And that is what is happening now because of the silence of the church. And so I wrote this book hoping to reach those who might still be reached because it is only when the church lives out its faith and understands 
that it is our duty before God to live out our faith in every single sphere and to push back yes. hard against the evil that is all around us, against the bad ideas that are all around us. Why do we push back? We push back because God commands us to love our neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, you will advocate for the truth. You will speak out against the transgender madness because lives are being destroyed and God holds you responsible as the church. You need to speak up against that. That's They're right. parents that they don't know what to think. They don't know what to do. The church needs to be a strong voice. I mean, I thought of this earlier this morning. What could be possibly clearer than he made us male and female in his image? image. There's nothing more basic than that. So to back up, to back up, we're going to sound like, uh, we talked about this the other night, like a bunch of Pentecostals or something, right, when we talk like this. But it's so obvious, it's almost like we need to catch up. And that is, we look around at the world that we see happening right now, and you talk about, you know, the fact that we're image, we're the image bearers of God. God, the Bible tells us that God has stamped, he's placed eternity in your hearts. That's why atheists struggle at night when they lay their head down at night. Look, Christian, you lay your head down at night and you fall asleep. An atheist lays down at night and says, man, I hope God's not real. I, I hope he's not real. Because, listen, the, he, he's going up against the witness of the Holy Spirit for one thing. He's like knocking on his head, saying, I'm, I'm here, I can hear you. Uh, but that's a tough way to live. But the, the fact of the matter is that we who believe in God... Um, it's funny what drives us, I guess, to be such a problem to an unbelieving culture now is that we, we actually love them. We love the people that hate us, which is a miracle. Come on, let's be honest. We weren't always Christians. Do you remember? I remember when I wasn't a Christian. Um, I, I hurt people that hated me. <laughs> Seems normal to me. Um, then I became a Christian and, and the big shock to me was I started loving people that I couldn't stand. And it's like, what is going on here? And this is God taking over your life. Something or someone's going to take over your life. And we will risk our own safety for our enemy to hear the gospel, not to bend their arm into heaven. Thus, there's no state church. Thus, there's no man mandatory belief. This is not Islam. Believe or your head comes off. What kind of a deal is that? God is so amazing, the God of the Bible, that he invites you to make a willful decision to love him because he's a real personality. If somebody puts a gun to your head and says, uh, we're going to have sex right now because I've got a gun to your head, that's not love. Or if somebody says, I'm going to control you for my gratification, that's not love. That's animalistic tyranny. God invites you. And here we are in a culture right now. They hate us. Like it was said of George Whitfield. It said that he loved the world that hated him. And George Whitfield's greatest passion was that people would be saved. And so we want to announce to the world the gospel. But, we're, but Satan doesn't want that to be said. And so the silencing, the canceling, and all these kinds of things going on. But, Eric, what would you say to this? When I, I, was, I thought when I was reading Roosevelt there that I could just see uh, if this was like a Facebook post and people are 
commenting, oh my goodness, there they go. Nash, what's it called? Christian nationalism. <laughs> Christian right. nationalism. You know, it's so, because people are well, saying that like a parrot and they don't even know what they're talking about. First of all, anytime anybody uses the phrase Christian nationalism, like laugh in their face and walk away quick. Because it's so stupid. It's like somebody says, I think you're racist, or I think they're using a term designed specifically to shut you up. They yeah. do not, they're not interested in what you have to say. So they're using this as a cudgel just to beat you into silence. And you need to, Christians, you know, it says be wise as serpents. It doesn't say be wise as doves. Did you know that? But we sometimes allow the enemies of God to play games with us. And we answer fools according to their folly. We cast our pearls before swine. Our time and our energy is God's time and energy. And you should never argue with somebody who is not interested in the truth. Amen. Walk away. Because that, pray for them, but don't argue with somebody who simply wants to shut you up. And right now, a lot of Christians think that like there's one Christian value. It's being nice. And, and I have to tell you that, that, that that's not a biblical value, folks. Sometimes speaking the truth um, is what God is, is calling us to do. And when we don't do it, when lies are being promoted in the culture and we are silent, the Lord is holding us accountable because we are to be the voice for the voiceless. So whatever you're talking about, whatever issue there is, and we say, well, I don't want to be divisive. Folks, God does not call us not to be divisive. Now, he doesn't call us to be divisive, but the point is, it shouldn't be whether you're divisive or not divisive. There are people outside this building, there are people out in the world who don't know God, who are depending on those of us who know the truth to advocate for the truth, to advocate for the truth in the public square, to make noise when people are lying, when there is corruption. I don't care what the issue is. You pick the most controversial issue, election fraud, uh, vaccine mandates. In other words, it doesn't even matter what you think about that. The point is, when somebody tells you, you can't talk about that, you say, excuse me, excuse me, I'm a Christian. I could talk about anything I want because I don't even fear death, number one. Now, a lot in the church are being shamed by non-Christians who are saying, I can say whatever I want because I'm an American. Patriots died so that I can talk about whatever I want. I don't need anybody's permission because I'm an American. These, these things are enshrined in our founding documents. But the church has been complicit in its own silencing, in its own marginalization. I say marginalization in the sense that, that in China... Just as in America today, there are a lot of voices saying like, yeah, you could do your, your religion in that building at these hours. And when you come out, you bow, as I said, to the secular authority of the state. And a lot of Christians go, okay. And, and I, I'm here to say what I said earlier. And I, actually, I'll quote Abraham Kuyper, the famous Dutch theologian. This. The famous quote, he said, there is not one square inch in all of creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, does not say mine. Every aspect of our culture, the medical establishment, the journalistic establishment, the government, politics, media, the Lord wants us to take him out of our theology, out of this church, into every one of those spheres to his glory. And for example, when you take your biblical view that we're all made in the image of God, 
out into politics, guess what happens? Slavery gets abolished. Good things happen when Christians are activated, right? And so, but people say, oh, you want a theocracy? You want to force your faith? No, 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 no. Nobody's talking about doing it that way. But if we have free and fair elections and we advocate and we speak the truth and we push back when lies are pushed upon us. I want, I want to tell you, folks, for example, the, I, I really believe Romans 8, 28, the, the, the Lord says all things work together for good for those that love. So when he says all things, it means every horrible thing that he is allowing to happen right now, he is doing for his purposes to wake up his mm. church. Now, if you did not see satanic evil on display, a lot of people would say, well, I'm fine. Everything's fine. We are seeing things when they come for your kids. And that is what's happening. If you don't do something about it, if you don't care, you're dead inside. You're dead. God calls us and he's allowing these things so that we would speak up, so that we would get activated. But the world out there, many of them will applaud you for speaking up. Don't be fooled. That, that, that by, by the, the few cultural elites, the loud voices. I mean, for example, if anyone ever goes to another Dodger game, I, I want to tell you right now, listen, what they did, you have to understand, what they did, it wasn't just wrong. There's wrong, Absolutely and then demonic. there is satanic. Some of you may have seen the videos. It is as satanic and foul as anything I've ever seen. And even if you're not a Christian... You, you would know it is calculated yes. to spit in the face of every Christian. And when someone behaves like that, when management in some company behaves like that, if you do not push back, you're guilty. And I say the same thing about Target. Yeah. And I say this because we are living in a free country. But if we don't exercise our faith, at the ballot box and with every penny you spend and don't spend and where you spend it and don't spend it. If you don't do that, you are participating. You are allowing yes. them to do these things, folks. And don't think about yourself and your family. Think about all the other families out there that are trying to live in this culture, trying to take their kids to a ball game, trying to shop. It is up to us to lead the way. God has called us to lead the way, and he has allowed us to see naked evil like we've never seen it before to wake us up so that we don't go down the path that the german church went down which we're currently going down so going to what eric just pointed out regarding the culture in which you and i are living in right now i want to make sure you can check and see if this is true or not i read it in an article today it may not have been accurate i say that as a disclaimer right now but i was i read today that target has now heard the voice of the people and they have decided to move the products to the back of the store. Now, wait, 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 wait. This is dead, deadly serious. Especially those of you who have been old enough or you've studied, you know, the, the Soviet tactic of invasion. So first of all, up until recently, you could go to Target without having to cover your kid's eyes or your grandkids' eyes. They put it up front. I believe, they may not have known this, but Satan knows how this works, because communists have been doing this forever. Put it up front. Make a big scene. And we'll settle 
will settle a week or two later yeah. by having it in the back of the store. Because eventually the people who walk into the front will eventually get to the back. And dum-dums will say, oh, whew, look, at we got this stuff to the back of the store. Hey, you lost. They won. S- listen, you know how the Soviet Union took over countries? Two steps forward, one step back. Yep. Do the math. Two steps forward, and then they get caught, and they back step one, but one? No, no. Target did that, I guess, today, if that report's accurate. It's brilliant. It's a, it's a satanic strategy. All right, you win. We hear you. Bring your $10 billion back to us. We'll put the porn in the back of the store. And we think we made a victory, and Target thinks they're being nice, and Satan's laughing all the way. It's absolutely incredible. But listen, if you're not walking in the spirit or living out the works that we should be doing, faith is living what James said. James is awesome. What Eric is talking about, James basically, book of James is this. Remember, Martin Luther, didn't he didn't like the book of James. He was so big on faith alone. And God bless him. We understand where he's coming from and from where he came out of. That when he read the book of James, he said, wait a minute. I don't like this book. James is a straw man. I don't want to read the book of James. Why? Because James was written to Christians. And James said this. So you say that you believe in Jesus? That's awesome. Me too. I tell you what. I'm going to move in with you, and we're going to hang out together for the next 30 days. And I'm just going to even plug my ears. I'm just going to watch how you live. And at the end of 30 days, because you've claimed to be a Christian, I'm going to determine if your claim is actually true by how you live your life. James says, I'll tell you if you're a Christian in 30 days. The book of James, in the Bible. And so this is critical because we're battling now. So, you, so some, somebody might say, well, I, I, I'm not going to go to opening day or I'm not going to, I'm going to do regarding the Dodgers or this and that. Listen, again, remember, they'll take two steps forward and one step back and they'll think that you've won while the enemy, the, the Trojan horse is inside the camp. People, people have to, I mean, I, again, I think we, we've lost our sense of shame and, and anything goes. You, you kind of think, what would somebody have to do? To get, Christ, let's just say Christians, but I would say any American, to say, I'm never going to go to that store again, ever. They have crossed the line. Now, they crossed that line 10 years ago. But now, it is so unbelievably, clearly wicked and sick. I'm talking about the Dodgers. I'm talking about Target. I'm talking about Disney. If you do not let them know that they must pay a price. Now, because here's the point. If you do not put the Dodgers and Target and Disney out of business or hurt them very, very badly for, for the just tremendously contemptuous attitude they have toward you and your fa- family, okay? If you don't do that... Every other company is looking at this and they will treat you exactly the same way. And I want to say, folks, you know, if a company was doing business with the Nazis, I'm convinced that the Dodgers and Target 
and Disney and many, many, many other companies would gladly do business with the Nazis if they could make a buck and get away with it. And they did. And they did. And they are now doing that. In other words, they have no values and they don't care. They, they do have values, Eric. Yeah. And it's this. Mammon. Yeah. The God Mammon. Now, look, um, there are those good people. There's some good people out there that are saying boycotts don't matter. It just hurts innocent people working in the stores. That's not true. Listen, that's a bunch of baloney. Yeah. And I had a friend on national radio say that the other day, and I just thought, I'm, I'm glad he's a friend of mine. I love him anyway, but that was bad counsel. Uh, listen, business is in business to make money. And if you're not a Christian business, uh, then that money is mammon. Jesus said, you can only serve God or the God of mammon. It's money, money. And so boycotts matter. They really do matter. And the, and the more they yell, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't be doing it. Is It means you're flying over the target. Flying over the target. Wow. Wow. And by the way, we forgot, we forgot Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch. So um, you're flying right over the uh, bush. You're flying right over the target, An- and Anheuser you're flying right bush. over the coal. Anheuser-Busch. But I'm saying that this is really basic. I mean, if somebody shows profound contempt yeah, yeah. for you and for your family right. and for America, it's America. It's not just us. It's America. You have to let them know, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're fired. You're no longer going to get a chance because it's not like you've been so wonderful in the past, but you've crossed the line. And unless the church, I mean, listen, let, let's, let's think back to the civil rights era, okay? That, that came out of the churches, okay? And some of you know the story of Rosa Parks and the Montgomery bus boycott, okay? Something evil was done. Something evil was being done. And the blacks in that part of the world said, you know what we're going to do? Because what you're doing is so foul... We will no longer ride your buses. That's right. Now, you want to talk about paying a price? (laughs) They walked to work for one year. They didn't say, well, a week is enough. A month is enough. For a year, they most of them walked or found another way. They refused to ride the buses because the bus companies and that uh, municipality was evil. And they said, we are going to take a stand and, and it's going to cost us something. We're going to have to walk. We're going to have to make sacrifices. But the Lord is with us. We're doing the right thing. I love it. And I want to tell you something, folks. Love it. Love it. What they did... Now, if you can't make the sacrifice of not shopping in these places or not going to the... If you can't make that sacrifice, you're participating in this nation going to hell. I want, I want to be clear. If, in other words, if you can't make... If we are so fat and lazy that we can't make that kind of sacrifice, there are people around the world dying for their faith. While we're talking here, there are people being tortured right. for their faith now right, now, right now, all around the world. But Americans act like, well, we're, we, we're past that. We, we can just have a nice time and we go to church on Sunday. You're not living out your faith. You have to live out your faith in every, every sphere. And, and if we would do that, folks, it would change the world. It would change the world. And, and you know, in a way, Jack, I mean, the reason I wrote the book Letter to the American Church is because I, I kind of got this idea that 
that we have drifted over time. You want to understand, this happens to the church, okay? It happened to the church. Martin Luther comes along and he's like, whoa, look how we have drifted. We need a course correction. This is big. We've drifted into heresy. We, we, need to, we need to go back and we need to... This happens in the history of the church and it happened in the German church. I just want to be real clear. That's what happened. They got this idea of grace that was so focused on grace, they act, actually thought like, well, we don't need to do anything. And when evil was rising, they did nothing. And because they did nothing, evil triumphed in a way that is grotesque even to think about the, the, the satanic evil that happened as a result of the silence of the German church. Right now, I really believe the same thing has happened where we're so focused on faith and theology and we go to Bible studies, we're not living yeah. out our faith. And the Lord is calling his church now, using the, what happened to the German church as an example to say, American church, now you have to wake up. Now you must live out your faith. And I will let things get ugly to help you understand that this is where things go when the church is silent, when the church says, we just want to preach our little gospel. We don't want to bother with all that stuff. We don't want to be divisive. We just want to preach our gospel. And the idea that you have to choose between preaching the gospel and living out your faith and all these things, that's kind of like, you know, when people say, like, well, you, you can't love your country. You just, you're a citizen of the kingdom. It's like, oh, I, I can't be both. I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. My faith in God, it's just what Teddy Roosevelt just said, my faith in God calls me, causes me to love America. Not, not to make an idol of America. God forbid you make an idol of America, but not to love your country. That's like somebody saying, like, you love Jesus? Well, you, you better hate your wife. You, you better hate your kids, right? Because you, you, can't, you can't... It's like, wait, uh, my love of God calls me to love my family more. I love my wife more because of my love of God. But we're being given this satanic deception. Oh, you've got to choose. If you love America, you don't love God. That's a lie, folks. Yeah. That is a satanic lie. Patriotism, genuine patriotism, okay? I look at Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer loved Germany. That's why he did what he did, because he loved God's idea of Germany, and it so caused awesome. him to be active and to be vocal. He didn't say, who cares about Germany? He says, because I care about Germany, I'm going to speak up. It's the role. He called it, he said, the church is the conscience of the state. It is our job as the church to be the conscience of the state and to bring biblical values to the state in which we live, to the nation in which we live. So these are all false choices that are satanic choices. The enemy trying to confuse you, right? Mm -hmm. oh, you can't love America. You can't say God bless America because you're, you're king. it's all about the kingdom. It's like saying don't love your family. You got to just love Jesus. Like you know that's dumb. It's not biblical. Let's remember that Satan uses scripture. He used scripture against Jesus himself. The word of God was being used against the word of God by Satan himself. So don't think, you know, well, I, I'm smarter. I figured this out. Uh, Satan knows exactly what he's doing. For example, not far from here, if you think about it in, in earthly geographical terms, even though we're in Southern California, it's a couple, three, what, a three and a half hour flights, we'd be in Canada. Canada, listen, there's Canadians who love Canada. And they're trying to change Canada because Canada has been commandeered. Canada is under tyranny right now. 
And that's why the church in Canada has all but been silenced. Because there's a tyrant leading Canada. It's very, very sad. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But Is Gavin Newsom leading Canada? No, a disciple. Oh, another tyrant. A disciple. A different tyrant. Justin I'm sorry. Trudeau. I, I didn't realize. Justin that. Trudeau, a buddy. Uh, by the way, that's a whole other story. You ought to look at the linkage between Barack Obama and Justin Trudeau and uh, Klaus Schwab. It's incredible. Uh, and a guy by the name of a guy by the name of uh, Vladimir Zelensky, by the way, is a Klaus Schwab uh, schooled guy. A lot of people don't realize that. Anywho, the thing is this: uh, people from New Zealand love New Zealand. I think they're supposed to, based on the Book of Daniel. Listen, if you're if you're a German like Bonhoeffer, he loved Germany, so he tried to change what was happening because he loved right. Germany. Amen. Why did he love Germany? Because he loved God more. He loved God most. And so what was happening was the, the wholesale uh, pillaging and robbing of faith and his nation. So for us as Americans, it hasn't come to the point where uh, Bonhoeffer went to some pretty extreme measures, which, you know, we haven't gotten to that. But my goodness, for example, the, the plot to take out Hitler. I forget who's the guy that wrote the book, uh, How Do You Kill 11 Million People? Andy Andrews or something yes. like that. Um, and the question comes up, um, if you had a chance to take Hitler out before he killed millions of people, would you have done it? So if you were a sniper and you had a chance to take Adolf Hitler out before he killed homosexuals, Christians, Jews, dark-haired people, <laughs> brown-eyed people, would you have done it? Think about it. It's kind of a trick question. Well, I'm going somewhere with this. Right now, today, we have people in, in, in church life who will say, Eric, Jack, just calm down because God is sovereign. Right. And, you know, I'm just going to trust in the Lord. Listen, when you t- of course God is sovereign. But you shouldn't say that the way that you mean it because it's actually heresy. Well, it's actually... It's, uh, it, it's, it's a call to inaction, right? Yeah, it says do it, nothing because God is sovereign. You can wait, 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 wait. Like, I mean, you, you know, uh, George Washington, uh, when he was fighting, we were talking about this earlier, G- George Washington kind of knew in the natural that they would not succeed in the natural. That's right. But if the Lord was with them, that if they really fought, they might have the victory. So they fought because they thought if God wants us to win, we will fight and the Lord will do what the Lord's going to do to counsel someone like God is sovereign. Therefore, George Washington, sit down. We would never have this nation. And there are many voices in the church today saying, just don't do anything or you know what? It's already lost. So just don't do anything. Don't bother. Don't if you don't bother, you're Mm -hmm. helping it be lost. God calls us to fight until he decides when the battle is over. And I genuinely believe, I genuinely believe that the the reason the enemy gets so loud and Satan gets so openly uh, evil that we see it in a way we haven't before is because they are very, very desperate because I believe in the supernatural realm we are on the verge of victory. If, if the church were to wake up 
if, if, if I want to mention about the Barman Declaration in a second, just real quick, but I, but I was going to say, if the church were to wake up, if enough in the church were to wake up, I am convinced we would see revival like we've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. We would see reformation. Yeah. We would see the, the darkness pushed back. And the enemy is, 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 is behaving this way yes. because he does not want that to happen. If he can convince us it's over, sit down, you know, go to your caves, uh, have a quiet time, but don't get involved. That's right. That is what he would do. And there are many Christians complicit in that. The very tension that you're sensing as a believer in the world, what you're watching on TV, is proof that there is a spiritual war underway yeah, yeah. and that the enemy is concerned. Now, when we talk about the enemy, we're talking about the invisible forces, spirit forces. The Bible makes it very clear. Read the book of Ephesians chapter 6, for example, or uh, Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28 where the Bible says there's actually demonic entities that preside over regions of geographical places on earth. Isn't that amazing? There's a prince of the power of the air of Persia, the Bible says. And so imagine, apparently, Michael seems to be, according to the scripture, the one that rules over the realm of, of Israel. But what's, what, what about the angel that rules over the region of America or Canada? Or the South Pacific. According to the Bible, there's entities in the atmosphere warring. If that's true, and we're seeing the things that are going on, last night we were radically encouraged by Kelly Shackelford by how many cases, watch this, God in his miraculous way, like, think now, how did Nebuchadnezzar come to power? Or Artaxerxes? Okay, Trump comes to power. Nobody saw that coming. Be honest. He was so entertaining. Nobody thought he's going to win. I'm convinced that the biggest reason why God put Trump into office was to change the Supreme Court. Dramatically. And we got proof of that last night, where the amount of cases that we don't even know about, we're too busy. These attorneys fighting in D.C. are winning so many profound, godly cases for freedom, for religious rights, um, that we were shocked. Our jaw was hanging open with Neil Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. The change of the court, the pro-life issue... Uh, all kinds of issues. There have been so many great victories that, again, we don't hear about it because they're not being told. The enemy doesn't want you to know it. It's probably being blacked out on, on media. But we heard from an attorney that argues before the Supreme Court of all these huge victories that are happening now. And, and, he, and the again, enemy hates that. To underscore what it. What about Roe versus Wade? Think of that one. And, and to underscore it, you know, to be blunt... If Donald Trump hadn't become president, none of these victories would have happened. Now, this does not mean you're supposed to make an idol of Donald Trump or avoid the stuff about him you don't like, but that's not the point. If you do not vote, the other person gets in. And if the other person gets in, none of this stuff would be happening right now. So we have to live in this world, folks. The Lord calls us to live out our faith in politics, in every single sphere. And I want to say it again. The reason I wrote a letter to the American church is to say, we know what happened when the German church got this wrong. 
We know what happened. And actually, I want to I mention, there's a chapter in there called 12,000 Pastors. There were 18,000 Lutheran pastors in Germany at that time. 18,000. Um, the, the Nazis very quickly uh, just uh, brought their kind of r- racial view of the world and every other thing to bear in government, they, they took away people's liberties. I mean, it was just dramatic, kind of like what we saw with COVID, just unbelievable governmental overreach and just pushed and pushed and pushed. A number of pastors stood up and said, ah, no. And they wrote this thing called the Barman Declaration where they made clear that the government, whether it's the Nazi government or any guy, has no right to tell us we are the Church of Jesus Christ, okay? So they write the Barman Declaration. About 6,000 of the 18,000 pastors sign it, okay? By 1935, two years later, the, the government had been so wicked and had bullied people that many in the church, just like now, who had been initially brave, said, uh, uh, we're, we're going to back up. We don't want any trouble. We don't want any trouble. So by 1935... 3,000 of the 18,000 pastors were standing strong, only 3,000. On the other end of the spectrum, there were 3,000 that were 100% pro-Hitler. It's kind of like, you know, you want to talk about it like a totally woke church today. So there are 3,000 maniacs, totally pro-Hitler maniacs among the Lutheran pastors. So 3,000 complete nuts, 3,000 heroes, But here's the key, and it's why I call the chapter 12,000 pastors. In the middle were 12,000 pastors who said, we're not going to choose. We're going to sit back. We're going to sit this one out. We'll let you guys fight it out. We we don't want any trouble. And we think we have a biblical mandate for not being involved in politics. So we're going to be silent. We don't want to be divisive. We just want to preach the gospel. And you want to ask them, what useless, dead gospel were you preaching in your church that you did not speak out and take sides in a situation that would lead millions of women and children to their deaths in the death camps? And that's just one example of the nightmare unleashed by the Nazis because of the silence of the church. But it, was, it wasn't the pro—forget about the pro-Hitler— Lutheran pastors, okay? Let's talk about the 12,000 in the middle who dared to think we don't need to choose. We're not going to vote. We're not going to get involved. We're just going to sit back and do our little religious thing because that's what we believe it is to be a Christian. We don't want to get our hands dirty. Bonhoeffer tried desperately to wake up the church and to say, church, this is your job. God called you and died for you, and appointed you, and anointed you for this, to fight for what is right and true and good. For the sake of the gospel, fight politically. For the sake of the gospel, call out evil. For the sake of the gospel, live your life in such a way that you don't fear death, but you fear God. And we know that Bonhoeffer, like the Old Testament prophets, what he said fell on deaf ears. Those 12,000 in the middle said, we're not ready to speak up yet. We're not ready to speak up. They allowed this to happen. And the reason I wrote this book is to reach those in America today who would be part of that 12,000 in our 
world who would say, we just want to preach the gospel. We just want to do church on Sunday. We don't want to get involved in this. We don't want to offend anybody. You know, I got a big tither who's a, a Democrat. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to mess with him. I have a biblical mandate to keep my mouth shut on all the satanic Democrats evil tithe? which is happening. Yeah, no, of course not. But it was just a figure of speech. Um, but the fact is that if, if we are not speaking up against the transgender madness... If we're not speaking up against open borders because we say, oh, that's, that's too political. Ladies and gentlemen, because of open borders, we have murderous thugs, drug cartels, trafficking women and children. If you are against child rape, you got to speak up. You cannot act like this is an issue that I don't want to get involved. I'm a Christian. I don't get involved. If you're a Christian, you more than anybody ought to know that trafficking people... For, for, to degrade them and to rape them is satanic evil. And silence about that is no different than silence about slavery. It's no different than silence about people going in boxcars to the death camps. The Lord calls us to speak. The Lord calls us to act. The Lord calls us to act as though we believe what we claim to believe. And I wrote this book hoping to reach those who have been silent up to this point. And many, many pastors, many Christian leaders, I don't need to name them, but many of them have been silent. And when you are silent, you are allowing evil to happen. You are allowing evil to happen. And some of the good things we heard about last night, none of those good things would have happened uh, if certain people hadn't been elected. We need to be big boys and girls and make choices in politics. It doesn't mean that we think somebody's perfect, but we need to understand what is at stake. Human beings are lives are at stake. Our nation is at stake. And by the way, the way this nation goes, the whole world goes. So if I lived in China today, I would be hoping that America is going to wake up and be America and, and, and stand up uh, to, the, to the human rights abuses and the evil that is happening there. We, we, the church, are responsible for these things. And we need to know that. Listen, he, he said the way this nation goes is the way the world goes. Um, we have a huge responsibility being Californians, because as California goes, this nation goes, then the world goes. Let's, let's make sure of that. You're talking about a 12,000 pastors, chapter 5, uh, page 41, where Bonhoeffer is pleading with his fellow pastor brothers to get involved and to see the urgency more than ever. And the problem that he had to deal with, it says here, is that the bulk of his brothers in the pulpit, they believed that the Nazis could be reasoned with, it says here. And so imagine if you were to, imagine if that's true. Think about it right now, everybody. No, nobody wants to hear this, but it's, it's the truth. These, these, um, the, the, the sister, the brother sister things of perpetual indulgence. What is this? The, the satanic pseudo nuns. These these men these these transvestite nun things. These, yeah. So listen, do you literally believe that you could call them if you had their email? Could you? Do you think you would say, "Can we meet at Starbucks and talk about this"? No, really, think everybody, because all the, the the public school wants you to think this. But they can't even do it. They won't even listen to parents. They're blocking you out. And so here's the thing. Is the enemy of your soul is Satan who manifests in the lives of open vessels. People that are, 
not even knowingly doing his bidding. But to think in the culture, who would have thought 10 years ago, we'd be talking about this tonight, where schools believe across the United States that parents have no rights over their children's sexuality. You say, well, that's insane. You would have said that then, and you should be saying it now. The problem is, now we know it. Back then we didn't know it, now we know it. And if we don't speak up, as Eric was saying, woe unto us. Jesus makes it very, very clear that it's going to be better for a person to have never been born than when he gets a hold of them the day of judgment if they have offended children. Think of that. The Bible says that before the end comes, you'll, you'll recognize because it's going to take on the days, as it were, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Aberrant sexuality. Notice everything has been sexualized. The Dodgers have been sexualized. Target has been sexualized. Everything is sexualized. Sex is America's God. But who's defining it? Because God made sex and he knows exactly how that should be done. And every, every normal, listen, every normal person knows this. Kids today would not be going through what they're going through if adults didn't have an agenda yep. to have preloaded their little precious minds. And the day that God gets a hold of those people who have changed the mind of a little child to confuse them. Who's the author of confusion? Satan, not God. Confusion. Okay? And so, what is today? Today's the 31st? Yep. So, t tomorrow's the first. Tomorrow, tomorrow's the so, first day tomorrow? of what I call Pride Month is Kwanzaa times 30. It is a made-up, loony thing. We should not go along with it on any level. Well, it is an insult. It is an insult. You guys, have you read your Bibles to see what God has said about pride? When somebody says, this is unloving, this is what you guys are saying. Oh, what, what is, what, how, what's your rescue plan? What is your special op to reach our children? What are you doing? Think about that. I grabbed a bunch of pastors from up and down the state. And I got a hold of some people in D.C. And I said, hey, can you open some doors for me if I grab some pastors? I want to take them down to the border. And I want them to, I want them to see what's going on. And they said, yeah, we'll make that happen. We went down there. And we not only interviewed the various agencies that were there, Homeland Security, uh, but the California, uh, I get the acronyms confused, but it was not only the California agents that are there, but Homeland Security was there and um, Border Patrol, ICE, they're all there. And they're showing us what's going on. And they're showing us pictures and things where they use in training Classes of what's, what happens when you don't enforce the border laws. Do you guys let's listen to this? When you don't enforce the border laws, here's what happens. A market opens up, a black market, underground market. A market opens up where bad guys south of the border, Hondurans, Colombians, some Mexicans, but not so much. A lot of them, uh, Nicaraguans, others, they form groups. And as they get close to the border, we had people telling us that when, when, think about this, 
people, real true stories. Mexico City, sweet, precious family. They got some money, enough. What are they going to do on vacation? They're going to go to America. They're going to go to Disneyland. They're going to go to California. True story. When you get 50 to 30 miles out from, this, from the California border, that's no, that's no man's land. When you are somebody south of the border by residence, if you're making your way to America, they, these groups, these gangs, cartel, they, they pull you over. Many of them are dressed like Federellis. Pull you over. And we had agents telling us, now look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, it's too early for me to throw my, my endorsement out anywhere right now. I don't need to, so I'm not going to. I got to tell you something. These agents were telling us what was going on during Obama administration and what they had to fight with. And three months after Trump took office, what they had to fight with. What was very interesting to find out is all the border agents told us that, that they got to take down the, the cages that Obama had made. Did, wait, did you hear what I just said? So watch this. They showed us images because it was evidence where these families were separated. The mother was taken and the sister was taken into the slave trade. The husband was shot in the head and the seven-year-old boy, they gutted him open from his belly button up to the, up to just below his collar, opened him up, took everything out of him and stuffed him with drugs and put his clothes back on and put a ball cap on and put him in the back of the car and drove him across the border into America. Inside of him was drugs and they, we were like this. And they said, this happened, listen, prior to shutting down the borders, this was happening every day. So listen, as Americans, oh, I believe in open borders. All right. You have no idea. You are so ignorant. You may mean well what you're saying. You don't even know what you're talking about. I've seen it. And when I saw it, I got a bunch of pastors and I took them down there and I showed them. And I got to tell you something right now. It's not only that, but. As I alluded to a week or two ago, there are soldiers in our communities. You're going to see them soon. They're not from this country. That ship has sailed. We have photographs of them. Some of them have been caught, but not enough. Real, actual military personnel from other countries that were going across the border as tourists. Because they can you read the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 when God says, if you follow me, just, just, I'm God, you're not. I made the universe, the earth is spinning, you have no input on that. Your carbon footprint doesn't change any of this. If you do what I've designed this thing to do, you know, listen, today we, uh, today we took the grandkids to uh, the Marconi Auto Museum in Tustin. Where, is it Tustin? Where's it at? Tustin. In Tustin. You got to go. You know what I was freaking out about? Is the this sh- this sheer precision of engineering. 
in these incredible vehicles, these cars that you're looking at that are made by, you know, the Italians and these Germans that make these cars. And you're just looking at the preciseness of it. Nobody, nobody would walk along and say, isn't evolution amazing? <laughs> Every one of those cars were meticulously designed. Guess what? That's only a little hint of what God did by creating you in this universe. And God said in the book of Deuteronomy, if you just do what I know what's best for you, sound like a parent? Just do what I know what's best for you. Your crops will explode with bounty. You'll have so much food. In fact, you will bless other nations. If you just do what I know what's best for you, your women will not miscarry their babies, he said. He said, you'll build a home and you'll live in it. It'll be yours. Read Deuteronomy 28. Then he says in Deuteronomy 28 toward the end, if you choose to do it your way, your wives are going to miscarry. Your borders will be invaded. There'll be confusion in your streets. He said, even when no one's pursuing you, you're going to be panicking and, and terrified. And he said, you will work all day to farm your crops and you'll harvest only a quarter of it. You'll just get by. And listen to this. He said, you'll build a home, but another man will live in it. And he'll be a foreigner. And you may have a wife, but other men will sleep with her. God says, all these things will befall you if you don't follow the prescription that I gave you to live life. So what's happened in America? Because of silence, evil has advanced. I was so excited last night when Kelly Shackelford mentioned the Lord of the Rings. Because that's what's happening. You want to know what's happening? Watch the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Guys, listen. We've got to start to wrap this up. Uh, get the book. Last night, yesterday, all day yesterday, we reached out to these pastors statewide because I read this book and I got a hold of Gina Gleason. I said, you, we, we got to do this. And Eric Metaxas has got to be the keynote speaker and God, by his grace, did this. And we hope that pastors are, are going away energized. We equipped them with everything they could possibly have to make a difference. And the great difference will be if one pastor, imagine, if one pastor speaks to a thousand people at his church. That's a lot of influence, man. If they get involved to do the right thing. No more sitting and out. Spectator Christianity was never a thing. It doesn't work. And so there is hope. While we still have the ability to breathe, it is a remarkable thing that we can stand up for what's right. And I know this sounds kind of um, insane, but I said it yesterday in the opening words to those pastors. We love the Bible because it gives us, it gives us um, hope when we read about a little kid, teenager, being totally offended that this uncircumcised giant was mocking his God, that he said, that's it. And th that little kid takes his sling with five stones, mind you, because read your Bible. Goliath had four brothers. David, wasn't re David was not just ready for Goliath. He was going to hunt down his four brothers. And 
We love that. It's not a story. It's an actual event that took place. And we love reading it. And when Jehoshaphat was completely doomed, God shows up. And we read all these things in the scripture, in the Old Testament, where all these impossible things became possible. Because one person stood up. Amen. And we love that. But you know what? You will leave it. Listen, and I know I'm not, this church is different. But if you're visiting or you're watching right now, and if you think, well, you know, I just go to church on Sunday. Well, why don't you stop? Make, make room for somebody else to go. Because if you're not serious about doing Christianity yeah. for the rest of the week, listen, I, yeah. you need to make room for people who are willing to live out their faith. Because the fact is that we are up against giants right now. And you're either going to say, pull, those, pull the wool, the blanket over our heads. Or you're going to say, wait a minute. All these things that have been written in scripture, they're from God. And they're for our learning. And so we're going to take these promises and we're going to stand. If David can stand against Goliath, we should be able to stand against the school board. We should be able to stand against some teacher that is molesting your child. If not physically, in their minds. We, we need to ha- have some righteous indignation. We need to get wholly angry. It's a good thing to say, you know what? And like Bonhoeffer said, this is it. If we don't stand up in this urgent hour, it's over. It's all is lost. If Israel never crossed the Jordan, all would be lost. Think about it. Right now, we have the comfort of coming to church on Sunday and Wednesday. And going back to whatever we're doing. But if we don't look ahead, one of the chapters is, are we as Christians supposed to know the future? Can we know the future? The answer is we know the future by reading the past. Why stand ye here idle? Was the cry of Patrick Henry. We did it. We read that on Sunday, did we not? Our brothers are in the field. The battle has come. Eric, last words. I just know that God has called his church to action. And that our faith, Bonhoeffer talks about faith in action. If your faith is not lived out self-sacrificially, because you know you cannot outgive God. So when you make a sacrifice for him, whatever you do, whatever you do, he is with you. He will bless you. He made you to live out your faith and we've had this idea in the church i don't need to live out my faith in other countries they might need to do that they might need to pay a price we're fine here well the lord has allowed these wicked things to happen to tell you no i need you to live out your faith in every sphere do not be silent do not be quiet do not be passive do not be deceived and do not argue with people who cannot be argued with they thought that they could convince adolf hitler oh we can evangelize adolf hitler folks let me tell you something the board of management at the dodgers at disney at target you need to send a message to them they are beyond being reasoned with and that's just the beginning everything we've talked about tonight we need by the grace of god to be mightily activated. If the church does not wake up now, it is over for America. 
So I say, by the grace of God, church, in the name of Jesus, wake up now. You guys, um, I, somebody help me out on this. Are the, are the books available in the foyer? Is that where they're at? Foyer? So you guys, with that, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you'd continue to protect and bless, Lord, our brother Eric, God, as he traverses this nation and his voice is heard around the world for truth. God, that you would awaken your church. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would cause us all to take inventory of what it is that we're living for, how we are making a difference, and is Jesus being exalted in all of this rather than ourselves? Truly, we must decrease, as the word says, and he increases. And may that be true in our pulpits today. There's a lot of pulpiteers. And like Spurgeon warned, there's there's pastors proclaiming sermonettes for Christianettes. And God, we pray that as Erwin Lutzer writes in this forward of this book or in this endorsement, that this book is like a bucket of cold water in the face of a sleeping church. Lord, may we wake up and may we do the right thing. May we get excited about the fact that what we get to do is forever and for eternity. And whatever you've given our hands to do here in this world, God, may we use it to advance your kingdom. And God, I thank you that you're using my brother. Keep him healthy. Bless his wife. Bless all that they do. Father, keep using him. And Father God, we pray that we'd leave this building tonight a changed people. Motivated, filled with truth. And that, Lord, if you might be so gracious, that the mantle of Dietrich Bonhoeffer would fall on our shoulders. We prayed in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Amen.